Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis. I meant to do an episode yesterday to start breaking down the NHL playoffs, going series by series with the games that were played on Monday night, the Boston-Calgary game, Toronto-Tampa, Edmonton-The Kings, Minnesota and St. Louis, of course. But uh, I ended up going to Sunday Night Baseball instead. I saw the Phillies and Mets play a really good baseball game. I had a lot of fun at the Mets ended up winning 10-4. to Got to see another Scherzer start. I'm already up to two. I'm supposed to go to the game on Friday, too. And if the rain holds out, I'll see Scherzer for a third time in a month and a half. Very much enjoying the Mets being pretty decent, having a good first month. But today's show, I was going to do one of two things today. When I woke up this morning... I initially was going to do a breakdown of the series that start on Tuesday. So, the Rangers and Pittsburgh, Washington, Florida, Colorado and Nashville, and then Dallas, Calgary. But, I woke up Tuesday morning, uh, excuse me, Tuesday morning, I woke up Monday morning thinking... The people need a Rangers breakdown. Just a whole episode for the Rangers. And then we will do the rest of those series after the first games are played. That will probably end up being what the Wednesday episode of this show, the show this week, will be. And then Thursday, we'll get around to the games that'll be on Game 2s by Thursday. So that's the plan for content for the week. And then Friday... We'll leave it up up in the air. It could be baseball with Chris Schweitzer again. It might be something else. We'll see. I, I got to get an NBA episode in here somewhere because we're already in the second round over there on that side of the sports world. So a lot going on. This is my favorite time of the year. I mean, I've already watched two hockey games tonight. I've got two more on my screens right now as I'm recording this episode with a spreadsheet open on my desktop. So we've got a lot going on here on the Upper Bowl GM podcast. But before I get to today's show where we're going to talk about the Rangers and their match up with the Pittsburgh Penguins in the first round. I do have to remind everyone to please support the podcast wherever you get your podcast, whatever platform you like to use, the show is available there. If you are using Apple Podcasts, ooh, McDavid, that was nice. Ooh, he, Connor McDavid, still that guy. No matter what the Toronto media says, Connor McDavid, still that guy. If you're using Apple, Spotify, Apple or Spotify, wow, I haven't done this in a while. If you are using Apple or Spotify, please, please, please leave the show a review on top of subscribing. If you are using Apple Podcasts, you're going to go to the show's page. You're going to scroll past our recent episodes. Underneath that, there's going to be a button, purple letters that says write a review. Please leave a few words above that write a review button. If you're lazy and you don't want to leave a written review, just please leave a five-star review. There's going to be five clear purple stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. On Spotify, it's right there underneath the show's logo in the top corner. The logo is going to be in the top left corner underneath that. Right next to it, underneath it, it's a, there are five clear purple stars. Please hit the one furthest to the right. Spotify is a little bit annoying. You can't cheese it, so you do have to listen to a few episodes before it allows you to leave a review. You can just tap on a random episode, hit the skip 15 seconds button three, four times. You do that three times. Then it'll let you hit the five-star review button. It would be greatly appreciated. Reviews mean the world. Content creators desperately need them. Like I always say, not just this podcast, anybody's content you enjoy, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever 
If it's a YouTuber, if it's a TikToker, if it's somebody on Twitter you find funny, if it's someone who does stuff on Instagram, spread their stuff so other people can see it. That's the most valuable thing you can do for content creators, especially the ones who aren't on a subscription service, ones who do their content for free. Please leave reviews for them. Okay, so so let's set the table here. The last time the Rangers were in the proper playoffs, I was a college junior? Sophomore. I was a college sophomore the last time the New York Rangers were in the proper playoffs. The last time the Rangers were in the proper playoffs. I can still picture it. That was the last Ranger game I went to. Last Ranger game I went to before I turned 21. I Actually, wait, no, that's a lie. That was the last Ranger home game where I didn't have someone that went with me to buy me beer. So... Stone sober. I vividly remember them losing to Ottawa, them going down the handshake line. I remember Elaine Vigneault, the Rangers coach at the time, did not stay in the handshake line. He went straight to the locker room, did not go through the handshake line. So that's the first thing I remember. Number two, I remember I was the last person sitting in my section after both teams had shaked hands. They both, they both skated off the ice. I was the last person sitting in my section. I was in the third row of 208 upstairs. I put my hands, my my head in my hands. I rubbed my face. I looked up at that garden ceiling. You know what I'm talking about. The fan-shaped roof. The most iconic view in all of sports. I looked up at that and I said, well, that's it. They're not winning one with Hank. And I got up. I looked at the usher in my section, I nodded, and I looked at the sho- my shoes, and I walked out, and that, that was the last time the Rangers made the playoffs, and it's been five long years. There are just two players from that team that still remain on the active roster, Chris Kreider, Miku Zibanejad. Lundqvist, of course, his number is retired, he's no longer an active player. The bulk of that team is no longer... No longer with the organization, obviously. I mean, there's a handful of those guys who are in other places now. Derek Stepan, still kicking. Rick Nash, retired now. That group that lost to Ottawa, that was the last best hope. And that group was not particularly good. If that group had beaten Ottawa in Game 6, the game I was at, and in Game 7 up in Ottawa, I do not think they would have beaten the Pittsburgh Penguins who went on to win the Stanley Cup for the second consecutive season. It's been a long journey to get back here. Um, A lot of debacles, a lot of ugly things, both on and off the ice, a lot of really bad decisions that somehow didn't derail a multi-year rebuild, which they probably should have. Let's get into it. I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop, and we'll unpack this series. We'll do storylines. We'll do the relevant on-ice statistics. We'll talk about how they match up with the Penguins, important matchups, how they compare in terms of intangibles, experience, coaching. I'll give you a series pick. I mean, I think anybody who follows me on Twitter knows who I'm picking, but I'll see you guys in one second. And with that, I am very happy to be back doing this. The NHL playoffs are close to it gets as my bread and butter. I can talk about all of these teams. We can do a lot of fun things, which we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. 
We'll get some guests in the mix. I'm supposed to be doing stuff with Hunter Hodes of the Lockdown Penguins podcast on his feed as well. So there'll be a lot, a lot, a lot of Nick Serrar's podcast content out there in the internet world. So let's start with this from a big picture narratives, the storylines, if you will. I wrote a story for Gotham Sports Network that should be up sometime today on Tuesday when you're listening to this. And the first thing I said in this section was, back in the day, it used to take a little while for a player to get stuck with a label. Uh, You had to come up short in big situations more than once to be called the choker. But now uh, you get flamed by 16-year-olds with anime profile pictures in any moment, anytime you mess up in any game. It could be a preseason game in the middle of September, and you're still getting flamed by somebody who has third-period algebra the next morning. But... Big picture-wise, when you think about the state of the Rangers, last year was about as dramatic as it gets. I mean, you had Panarin have that leave of absence in the middle of the season because he was accused of domestic violence in Russia. That happened like 10 years ago by somebody who was aligned with Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia. You have Tony D'Angelo start up, get into a fight with a teammate in the locker room. You have D'Angelo placed in exile in South Jersey, where the Rangers waited till the end of the season to buy him out. You had the dramatic incident where Tom Wilson got away with ragdolling the Rangers' best player, Artemi Panarin. The league did nothing. The line brawl the following night where the three guys on each team paired off, fought all the big hoo-ha. They go way, way, way too far into buying into their own hype. They fire Jeff Gordon and Jeff Gordon and um, John Davidson. They fire David Quinn. They bring in Chris Drury, who is just full stop. He's a Glenn Sather stooge. Uh, okay, so let's start here. Let's start here. You will not be able to convince me the Rangers' plan was to have the best goaltending season of the last 10 years. And that was going to be the team's plan. You cannot convince me on any planet this season the Rangers just had, where I think they had 108 standings points. You will not convince me that this was the plan for a successful season, that they were going to goaltend and power play their way to a Stanley Cup. You're just not going to convince me that was the conversation they had last summer when they brought in Patrick Nemeth and Barkley Goudreau and Ryan Reeves and they traded away Pavel Buchnevich for Sammy Blay. You're just not going to be able to convince me that this plan... This was the plan. Nonetheless, it worked. The Rangers had a very good season. They, I believe, finished fifth in the entire league in points. They have the clear-cut Vezina frontrunner. Shesterkin had such a good season. He was in the Hart Trophy conversation there. Then he had a rough week and a half. And you know how the Toronto-centric media is with Austin Matthews hitting the 60-goal mark. Not really going to be able to compete with that unless you win like 70 games as a goalie in today's league, which isn't going to happen anymore. But narratives-wise, the Rangers think they're here now. They think they are ready to be what the Hurricanes were, say, three years ago. That they've got a young group. They're ready to break, make, start making some headway. There's an expectation that you have to lose once or twice in the postseason before you're able to make a Stanley Cup final run. Like the the thing I always cite when it comes to that is the Lightning drafted Steven Stamkos in 2009 and they didn't win a Stanley Cup till 2020. 
This shit takes time, man. It is very difficult to win a Stanley Cup. And more than likely, the Rangers probably won't win a Stanley Cup with this group, with the majority of the players on this roster, if they do at all. Maybe it's only one or two guys, like seven or eight years from now. But in terms of what they think, the organization thinks they're ready to compete for a two, three, maybe four-year period before they have to reassess in a couple years, retool the roster. So in terms of the big picture... The Rangers are in that second tier of team. They're not as good as Colorado. They're not as good as Florida. They're probably not as good as the Leafs. They're not as good as Calgary. They're not as good as Carolina. Then they're in that next group of teams. It's them, Minnesota, the Blues, Pittsburgh, Tampa. That next tier of team that if things broke right for them, they didn't have as difficult of a path to the cup final. Maybe they get a little bit crazy, win some games they're not supposed to. That That's always possible. I mean, we did just see the Montreal Canadiens go to the Stanley Cup final last year. Weirder things have happened in the NHL. So getting here is half the battle. Once you are in the postseason, anything can happen. And the Rangers have key pieces, which we're going to talk about in a minute when we start talking about the actual matchups and the statistics. They have enough where they can be dangerous against any team. And, of course, that starts with Chesterkin, who we're going to get to in a minute. But the last thing I want to talk about here in the narrative portion of this episode, this is it for Pittsburgh. All assumptions are that at least one, if not both, of Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang will not be on the team next year. Both are pending, unrestricted free agents. Chris Letang, one last big contract, probably. His former agent, Ken Hughes, is the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens now. Everybody and their mother who writes about hockey, who speculates about hockey, thinks that's where Letang's going to go this summer, especially if Shea Weber and Carey Price both continue their long-term injured reserve dance where Montreal will have cap space and they will have a clear need for a right-handed defenseman to play on that top pair. Move Jeff Petrie down a pair, make him a little bit more comfortable, give him a little bit less work to do. Ideally, that Malkin's old. He's 35. He's missed a lot of games the last two seasons. I'm sure if he wants to stay, the Penguins would be more than happy to have him. Just a matter of making the money work. But this is kind of it. This this really is a last dance type scenario for the Penguins, where it's never going to be the same after this. This is a Penguins team that has not missed the playoffs since 2006-2007. I was stupefied when I saw that on Hockey Reference earlier when I was going through and doing my research for this. They've not missed the playoffs in 15 years. Sid is probably a top six, seven player of all time in the history of the sport. Malkin is a top probably 40 player in the history of the sport. Marc-Andre Fleury, of course, is no longer there. You go through the mental Rolodex of the guys who have cycled through Pittsburgh, whether it's Chris Kunitz, whether it's Chris Kunitz, whether it's James Neal, Whatever guy you think of that was been on the Penguins, they've been through the wars. They've won. They won that one Stanley Cup against the Red Wings in 2009. They won the cups in 16, in 2016, and 2017, and they've been kind of out in the abyss for a while now, where they've tried to figure out that recipe around their Malkin Sid Latang. They had it there for a minute with Matt Murray, then he got a little bit too expensive. They kind of tweaked it. Yari had a pretty good season this year before he got injured, but for all intents and purposes, this is the last gasp of the Penguins dynasty. Sid is still a remarkable hockey player. He is special. When Malkin is healthy and locked in, he is special. Chris Letang had a very, very good first 
55 games of the season, and then the last 25 or so, he's been kind of stale. He hasn't been as good, especially defensively. But the Penguins are just talented enough to give you pause. They are not a one-line team. They are not a one-player team. They are not just a goalie. They have just enough talent, and they have a smart head coach, and that has to give you a little bit of pause. So now that we've talked about the the big picture, the the young group that maybe overachieved a little bit, getting ready to face a group of veterans on a quest to try and win one more cup and become immortal even more. So, I mean, that's silly to say about, especially Sid. I mean, Sid's going to end up being on Canadian money at some point in the future, but I digress. When you think about what the Rangers were, I, I've said it a few times now. I said it last week when I was on the Pick a Team podcast with Maven Forbes that the Rangers were an all-goalie and power play team the first 55, 60 games of the season before the trade deadline. Not very good metrics. I mean, in the entire season. So when you look at the entire season's data, the Rangers, 47% of scoring chances, 47% of expected goals, 47% of high-danger chances. That's for the whole season. When you look at it just since the trade deadline, it's about 20 games, 53% of scoring chances, 52% of expected goals, 54% of high danger chances. Since the trade deadline, the Rangers have been able to play better hockey. So the most obvious way is they've been a lot better in transition. This is my biggest gripe with the Rangers the first 50 games. They were abysmal in transition. They could never get the puck out of their own zone and get to offense with any real regularity. Now, these last 25 games or so, we've actually seen something resembling a soccer-style counterattack, which is what they wanted to do most of the season. They just didn't have the personnel to do it. You can't be doing this kind of breakout counterattack style with guys who don't skate that well. You need somebody. And I... I was a little skeptical that Andrew Kopp was going to make a tremendous difference, but him playing on that second line has enabled Panarin to play so much better that the line as a whole is just dominating play at 5-on-5. Five five. So in your head, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture the Rangers breaking out of the defensive zone with that line on the ice. They get the puck, then you see Panarin is on the left boards waiting at the blue line, and the thing that makes them dangerous now is Strom can go to either person when he has the puck and they're transitioning to offense. Ideally, you get that to Panarin. Panarin makes the zone entry by himself. But because Panarin is so good with the puck on his stick, the defense is going to shade themselves towards Panarin, so to the left. And that, in turn, is going to make more space for Kopp, for Strom, and whoever's on defense out there to make plays. That is what has unlocked that second line to play at a level that we haven't seen from it basically since last year. Um, For that first 50 games, they were not driving possession at all. They really did not have the puck a lot. Sure, they were still scoring. I mean, Panarin almost hit 100 points even though he didn't really play that well. And that's just a testament to how good of a hockey player he is that even not having the puck a ton, he's able to create offense. That's some good shit. Now... In terms of Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is always 
always going to be decent because of their building blocks. The big three I keep talking about, they've got Mike Sullivan, who did a really good job, mind you. I mean, you got to remember, Sidney Crosby missed the first, I think, two and a half, three months of the season because he had, I think, sports hernia surgery or wrist surgery. I forget which one. And then Evgeny Malkin didn't come back until January because he had knee surgery. So for the first couple months, Mike Sullivan was making it work with Evan Rodriguez as the leading goal scorer on the team. I mean, sure, Rodriguez hit a wall, but those goals counted, man. Those goals in October, November, December, that mattered a lot for them. They've still got Jake Gensel. They've still got Brian Rust. Kasperi Kapanen, I always mess up his name. Kasperi Kapanen has not been as good as he was last year. Jason Zucker has been unable to stay healthy. Jeff Carter, not as good as he was after they got him at the trade deadline last year. But this is still a pretty solid group. So Pittsburgh as a whole, 52% of scoring chances for the season, the whole year. 53% expected goals, 53% high danger. Since the trade deadline, now this is where we get interesting and we can start talking about trends, 49% of scoring chances, 51% of expected goals, 53% of high danger chances. So starting there, we get an understanding. So first, let's start here. Pittsburgh had a virus that was not COVID going around. They had guys in and out of the lineup. When they came back, they weren't 100%. Still kind of had to get back into game shape. So justifiable. There's a clear-cut reason why they did not play as well. Of course, Tristan Yari has been hurt most of this last month of the season. He is not starting the series. I don't know if Pittsburgh has made an announcement of when he will be available, if at all, during the series. Casey DeSmith, who started 26 regular season games for them, is going to be the starter for at least game one. We don't know if or when Yari will come back, like I just said. So that is something to keep an eye on. But Pittsburgh is a tired group. They are an older group. And I've said this basically since January. The fact that all of these teams have been locked into playoff spots since January, more or less, aside from Washington, who kind of had to turn it on a little bit, even though the Islanders were never really that close. That's something worth keeping in mind, that it's kind of hard to get up for all of these games as a competitor when you know they're not life-or-death kinds of situations. But, of course... You don't want to be in the habit of that, trying to turn it on and off, because it's really hard to turn it on. Sometimes it doesn't always come back on if you turn it off and on in terms of your effort level, even if things aren't going well. You still got to try. That Very straightforward, and we've seen very good teams run into that problem where they've coasted a little bit much. But in terms of the talent in this series, I feel pretty confident in saying that I think the Rangers have five of the six best players in the entire series, if not six of the best seven. So you've got Kreider and Zabinijad, you've got Panarin, you've got Fox, you've got Shesterkin. That's a really good five out of six. And then Crosby, obviously the best player on Pittsburgh, he's sixth. If you wanted to put Jake Gensel in there over maybe... Kreider? Maybe? I probably wouldn't even give you that, to be honest with you, based on how Chris Kreider's played this year. Uh, right now, I wouldn't put Malkin or Latang over any of the five Rangers I just named, but really high-end group. The one issue the Rangers might have is they are a little bit top-heavy. The third line has played better since Cop got here, and they were able to move a talented forward down and made the lineup a little bit more well-rounded, but they still haven't scored a ton, which is the issue. 
it's fine as long as they don't get caved in at five on five, concede a ton of goals. It's great. And I do, do want to say the Rangers can be a pain in the ass for these teams because they've got the goalie, they've got the high-end talent. We have seen in recent history teams that are a little too reliant on just a handful of guys be a little bit overwhelmed in the postseason. Um, The Bruins come to mind as being a two-line team where only their top six could score. Um, The Oilers, of course, come to mind as a team that only depends on two lines to score. And the problem with those types of teams is if the other team is able to cancel out your top six, whether we were talking about the Rangers, the Bruins, or the Oilers, then your very unscoring bottom six has to make up the difference, and that's difficult. It's why I'm so inclined to talk about not being so reliant on just trying to grit your way to success because you do need to be able to score offense, and there is a way to be able to find offense through having gritty players, but the best players aren't the best. The best gritty players aren't the best because they're gritty. They're good because they're gritty and they have talent they're able to do things with the puck that's the kind of shit that matters that is where you get into the blake coleman's of the world the yanni gourds of the world who are able to create offense uncomfortably in difficult situations in a sustainable way that is what we're shooting for okay so aside from that I think it's worth pointing out that the Rangers are in significantly better form in their last 10. Uh, Pittsburgh is 4-5-1 in their last 10. The Rangers 6-3-1 in their last 10. The Rangers are also in better shape physically. Um, no Tyler Mott. I don't think we will see Tyler Mott in a Ranger jersey again unless they re-sign him in the summer going into the fall. Andrew Kopp, Artemi Panarin, both supposed to be full goes. Everybody else is at least surface level healthy. Pittsburgh, no Tristan Yari. Big, big blow. Yari had a very, very, very nice bounce-back season this year after really struggling in the playoffs last year against the Islanders. Had a top 8-9 season of any goaltender in the league. Don't know if or when he will come back, so that is an issue. Okay. In terms... Oh, man. The Wild are really getting ran through right now. It's 4 nothing. Sheesh. I picked Minnesota, too. Okay. In terms of intangibles and trying to understand the ununderstandable, this is what I always talk about. Why I don't, I'm not as huge subscriber to this world. Why I don't, why I'm not always trying to chase the high character guy, the intangible. If all you're telling me about a guy is he's good in the room, he's probably not that good at the sport he's playing, which is the problem. But in terms of experience, like I said before, The Penguins have made the playoffs every single year since 2006-2007. Even when they've lost in the first round, they've still been there. Most of their team has playoff experience, even if it wasn't with Pittsburgh. When you run down the mental Rolodex, you got Sid, you got Malkin, Rust, Gensel, Jeff Carter, Kasperi Kapanen, Chris Letang, Brian Dumoulin... And then their defense, not as much experience on that back end, especially amongst the younger guys. They've been there. I mean, John Marino's been there the last couple years. Mike Matheson was pretty good last year. Tristan Yari, playoff experience. Casey DeSmith, playoff experience. I I mean, you know this. They've been in the playoffs. The Rangers 
handful of guys have experience. I mean, Zabinijad, Kreider, they've been through the wars. They've got significant playoff experience. Jacob Truba some, and Andrew Kopp, some experience together in Winnipeg. A lot of the Rangers, just the three games in 2020 in the bubble in Toronto. Artemi Panarin, a little bit of experience in Columbus. Frank Vitrano, some experience in Boston and Florida. But all in all, a lot of these guys, less than 10 games of playoff experience to go with. I mean, the one person I do worry about with that, with the playoff experience, are the defensemen, especially just because... They're gonna. The Rangers have been successful this last month or so of the season because they've played such good team defense, and they've been doing it against bad teams. Uh, they played the Devils twice. They played um, Detroit twice. They they were able to beat up on the bad teams, take advantage of that, and that's a good thing. You want to have good results against bad teams because that shows you're able to dominate, and that's what you need to do against the bad teams. But against a team like Pittsburgh who the Rangers did a good job against. I mean, they gave up one goal a game on average because they gave up four goals in four games. That's some good shit. That is the kind of thing that gives you encouragement as a Ranger fan. But I do worry a little bit about Fox, about Lindgren, about Ke'Andre Miller, about Braden Schneider. Just They don't have the wealth of experience. The style of play in the playoffs is a little bit different. There's a little bit less room to operate. You got to make your decision just a split second faster. All those little things they accumulate. Now, in terms of experience, <clears throat> the Rangers are going to tout Barkley Goodrow being on the on the last two Lightning teams that won the Stanley Cup. Ryan Reeves went to the Stanley Cup final in Vegas. Gerard Gallant, of course, coached that Vegas team to the Stanley Cup final. This is not the greenest team we've ever seen in the postseason. It's not like that Leafs team the first year that Matthews, Marner, and Nylander were all up on the NHL roster at the same time. It's not that kind of green, but relatively speaking, there is a there isn't a ton of experience here. And of course Pittsburgh has so much. So that is one area where Pittsburgh has a clear bit. And the other thing is I want to talk about Mike Sullivan versus Gallant because this is the one area I feel confident in saying Pittsburgh is clear-cut better than the Rangers. No disrespect to Gallant. I'm not the biggest fan of his. He's fine. He's somewhere between the 12th and 9th best coach in the NHL. That That's not a huge difference. That's not like the 12th and 9th best coach in the NFL. That's not like going from, I don't know, Mike LaFleur to... No, Mike LaFleur. Mike LaFleur is the 49ers. The, uh, the Jets offensive coordinator. It's not like going from Matt LaFleur to, I don't know, Cliff Kingsbury, where there's a significant drop-off. That's not a, There's not a huge drop-off in the NHL because the, the coaches don't make a ton of decisions, especially in-game. Aside from like the matchups, they don't really do a lot. And even then, there are so many decisions you have to make on the fly where you're not able to see who's on the ice for their team. You're trying to, but you can't always. You can't always hard match and get the matchup you want. So sometimes you are just going on instinct. And Mike Sullivan has done a great job in Pittsburgh. He's one of the five best coaches in the NHL. He is so good that he is one of the few coaches that can make a difference at the NHL level as a coach. Like I said before, able to navigate the Penguins through this difficult season where, like I said, they were out without Crosby and Malkin for a good chunk of it. They've had a lot of guys miss time here and there to um, that virus that was floating around in April that's claimed a couple games from different players. But Mike Sullivan has found a way. 
I think Mike Sullivan will be able to keep Pittsburgh in this series because the talent gap isn't enormous. I do think the Rangers are a little bit more top-heavy talent-wise. Pittsburgh's a little bit better 1 through 16, especially when you start getting into that defense, if Pittsburgh's defense plays like it's capable of. The Rangers' defense has played a lot better in the last couple weeks, which is a sign of encouragement, but it is one thing to do that against a bad team. It's another thing to do that against Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel. Let's not forget, Jake Gensel, very good in the playoffs. A couple hat-tricks to his name in the NHL postseason. First, the one I remember is the one against the Flyers back in 20... I think that was 18 when they played the Flyers in the first... That might have been 2017. I think that was 2017 when they played the Flyers in the first round. And he had... He had a hat-trick in a game that I think they scored like nine goals in. The Penguins are very weird in the playoffs. They either go all the way or they get bounced in the first round. There's not really any in between. So, the Rangers are a young group... Ready to cut their teeth, show what they're worth, prove their mettle, establish themselves as the next team in waiting to contend for a Stanley Cup. The big matchup for me in this series, it's going to be Jacob Truba and Ke'Andre Miller against the Crosby-Gensel-Rust line. And I say that for a few reasons. Number one. Truba and Miller have been better the last couple weeks, especially because Miller has taken a nice step forward. He's making better decisions. He's playing with the puck a little bit more, so he's able to use his agility and his skating to create space for himself to transition to offense, which is what he should have been doing this entire time. Truba even hasn't been as frustrating as he was the first couple months of the season. Truba still irks me. He is always, always taking himself out of position to throw hits in situations where it would have been better if he played the angle as opposed to trying to take the body. But he throws the body, so the hockey men cheer, and Jacob Truba's so good in the locker room, and his dog is cute, and that's great. But is he helping you in hockey games, which is what I care about. So... That will be an interesting matchup in the regular season when they matched up head-to-head. Rangers firmly controlled possession. I believe it was something like 60% of scoring chances, 53% of expected goals, 54% of high-danger chances. But the Rangers only outscored them 1-0 when that group was on the ice, when it was the Truba-Miller pairing against Crosby. So good metrics, not a lot of offense. One thing I will say, I really hope when the Rangers have home ice, Gallant does not hard match the Kevin Rooney, Barkley Goudreau, Ryan Reeves line against the Crosby line because that will not go well. I understand in principle the idea of your checking line against the other team's best line because they'll have play tighter defense, there'll be less space to operate. Don't put Ryan Reeves on the ice at the same time as Sidney Crosby. I'm I I'm not gonna come or say I've come around on Ryan Reeves because that'd be dishonest, but I understand he has a place on the team, and the coach is insistent he's irreplaceable, so I'm going to have to suck it up and deal with it, but he can't be on the ice the same time as Sidney Crosby because he's not getting the puck from Sidney Crosby. That's playing four on five. You just can't do that against one of the 10, 15 best players in the world, even at Sid's age. I mean, Sid got drafted first overall in 2005, and he's still one of the 15 best players in the entire sport, no doubt in my mind. Matchup-wise, yeah, that's my big one for me. And then I want to see how the Rangers fare against Brian Dumoulin and Chris Letang if Mike Sullivan chooses to reunite that pair. They broke it up the last couple weeks because Chris Letang has had a rough go of it as of late. Just a little bit tired, not as good defensively, not as much work for them. Not as It hasn't worked for them as much as it has in the past. I mean, at one point, the Dumoulin 
Latang pair was as locked down as it got. I mean, that's your ideal defensive pair. You want the guy who's able to play the angle, be good in the neutral zone defensively, limit chances, and then somebody like Latang who can do anything with the puck. You need that kind of composition on a defensive pair. So the fact that it hasn't worked the last couple of weeks is a little bit concerning. So that's something to keep an eye on. And the big one for me, the reason I am pretty confident in the Rangers, and we're going to get to my pick in a second, we're talking about the guy who just had the best goaltending season in the league, one of the best goaltending seasons of the last 10 years, probably the second best behind Carey Price's Hart Trophy year, against somebody who's a backup. And no disrespect, Casey DeSmith is a fine NHL goalie. There are a lot of teams with worse goaltenders than Casey DeSmith. Somebody who's going... Casey DeSmith, I think it was 26 starts, like a 9-17 save percentage, a 2.8, 2.7 goals against average. Those are perfectly respectable statistics for a backup goalie. There are a lot of teams who would take Casey DeSmith as a 1B in a tandem. As long as Shesterkin is even... I can even I can say this. If Shesterkin is three quarters as good as he was during the regular season, the Rangers will have the good advantage in net. They have a slight advantage on the power play. Their high end players are better than Pittsburgh's high end players, but Pittsburgh's bottom six is probably a little bit better than the Rangers' bottom six at scoring. Even though I think the Rangers' third line is better than the Penguins' third line, just because the Rangers' third line is shown an inability to score, even though they control possession, that is a little bit concerning. I am excited. I'm very, very excited for this series. It's time to find out what this group is made of. They've had a very fun regular season. The Rangers have scored a lot of fun goals. They've had some fun games. They've fared pretty well against the good teams. They've beaten Tampa a couple of times. They beat Florida a couple of times. Carolina has given the Rangers fits. Calgary has given the Rangers fits. Anybody else in the East, I'm not that scared of. I think the Rangers can beat anybody in the East that isn't Carolina. Even Florida, I think the Rangers would have a decent chance against because how much Igor can make up for. All right. Official prediction. The New York Rangers Hockey Club will win this series in six games. I think Pittsburgh will win a game. Rangers will be up three games to one. Pittsburgh will buy themselves one more. Four to two. I think the Rangers firmly have been in better shape the last couple weeks. They are healthier than the Penguins. They have played better recently than the Penguins. They have more high-end players than the Penguins. The Penguins' two advantages, coaching, and I think I can say the Pittsburgh bottom six is a little bit better than the Rangers' bottom six. I lean the Rangers. I feel pretty comfortable in saying I think the Rangers are going to win. Let me put it like this. I would be pretty surprised if Pittsburgh won, just based on how they've played each other in the regular season and because just the form these teams are playing in. You could make an argument that Pittsburgh already played its best hockey of the season, whereas the Rangers are kind of playing it right now that they're playing the best hockey of their season. So with that said, that will just about do it for today's show. I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. We will be back tomorrow, and we will start talking about the other teams that are at the New York Rangers. I'm sorry I had to do this. Oh, yeah. I fucking met Henrik Lundqvist on Friday. Life-affirming shit, man. 
whoever said don't meet your heroes, they did have a good hero because I got to spend like five minutes with Henrik Lundqvist and everything is true. He really is that fucking awesome. He really is that nice. I got to shout out Casey, Casey Thoreau, who's been on this podcast a couple of times. She came on to talk about the Lions when they hired Brad Holmes to be their general manager and um, Campbell to be their head coach. She was on when the Dodgers won their World Series in 2020. She was on last year to talk about the Rangers. Casey's a good friend. She facilitated this. I'm very grateful I was able to meet Henrik to tell him thank you. Just for making hockey so much fun for what it is, for giving the Rangers all of these opportunities to be great. It was just really nice to get to say thank you. Uh, I never knew if I would get that opportunity, so to get that chance was really special. And it sucks the Rangers were never able to win him one. It's surreal every time I go to the garden now and I fucking see the 30 in the rafters. That kind of hits me like a ton of bricks. Like that entire portion of my life is just over now. So getting to talk to him for a little bit, getting a picture, getting him to sign my jersey, it really was an awesome experience. Let's go Rangers, man. This is the first time in a while I feel confident in the Rangers going into a playoff series. Let's make this happen. I'll see you guys tomorrow.